0: I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, there's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, ladies and gents. It's your dude, Mr. Monsonflake here, and we have a very special episode today. I am joined by McKay Heaton, a good friend of mine, and a good friend of his, who's now also a good friend of mine, Ben Rasmussen. It is Rasmussen, right? Yes. Okay, just want to make sure. Okay, we have McKay and Ben Rasmussen. Sorry, that makes you sound like you guys are, you know related you know (laughs) we're not (laughs) related no relation (laughs) no relation mckay heaton and ben rasmussen um they are a part of another podcast and so this is the first time that we have a double podcast episode which is really exciting so that's really cool good work boys good work excited to be here uh, you better be thank you sir (laughs) or else i'll be freaking pissed (laughs) off no i'm just kidding Um, But they are from a podcast called Noggin, where they discuss, and I'll have them explain most of this, but they discuss researches that are too hard to understand for us normal folk uh, (laughs) and people like me. That's why we have them on the episode, so I can understand and learn a little bit. (laughs) I'm not in school, so I need it. Um, But they take researches that are more complex and difficult, but very interesting, and then they simplify them and explain them to the rest of the world. Um, So super good idea, super really really, really cool. And what they have to share today is going to kind of flow right in with Life Must Go On and, and the initiative that we are running. As far as the past couple of weeks, it's been really good. Uh, if you guys didn't listen, go listen to Hayden's episode. It was the first time that he's done an episode by himself and he was nervous and all that. And it's hard by yourself. It's weird. Like when you have to talk to yourself for hours and hours, it's unique. But for hours and hours it was like 30 minutes but uh (laughs) he did a really good job and so go listen to that give him some props um and then we'll take over the next couple weeks with several guests mckay and ben are the first of i think three in a row so that should be really exciting um so just stay tuned for that but that being said i don't have anything else to say we're just going to jump right into this mckay and ben have a lot for us i'm so i'm just going to have them introduce themselves and then we'll go from there
2: Awesome. Thank you, Monson. We really appreciate being here. Uh, I've listened to Life Must Go On for a little while now. I love it. I think it's sweet. Thanks, Your voice is great, Monson. Your voice is great. <laughs> almost almost as good as Ben's. ben got, a power. got like I don't a know luf- about that. Like I know, dude. It's, it's, it's silky smooth. Anyways, <laughs> so yeah, our, our podcast is Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, and we love talking about research. So that's what we're going to talk about today, but me and Ben will introduce ourselves. So I am 24- <laughs> Well, McKay, I'm 24. I'm a senior at BYU, Brigham Young University, and I'm studying neuroscience with a minor in family studies. So love neuroscience. Uh, My sister's studying family studies, and she was like, it's super easy to get the minor, so just do it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I've actually learned quite a few cool things in the family studies minor too. So I really like both of those. Um, I've been a research assistant for a few different professors at BYU, studying suicide bereavement, addiction, addiction, uh withdrawal recovery kind of stuff and I enjoy research. I enjoy reading research that's interesting to me. I don't necessarily love doing it, but I I like it. Uh, I've also worked with a local nonprofit Hope for Utah so they create and edit you know they create uh, high school and middle school and, elementary school manuals that teach them about suicide, suicide bereavement, hmm. and suicide prevention. And so I worked on their suicide bereavement section, and I just wrote a couple manuals, edited them for high school students. So um, it was all, pretty cool. All the good things. Yeah. All the good things. That's right. Right now I work at a place called the Migraine and Neurological Rehabil- Rehabilitation Center. It just helps people with migraines. Also very neuroscience very cool.
1: Listen, we're going to have to talk about that because... Bro, I get migraines for days.
2: Okay. Dude, seriously. I'm kind of scared. Totally. I got like a tumor up there or something. No, dude. No, dude. You don't. (laughs) You don't. I promise. (laughs) I promise. I'll I'll talk to you about this after. (laughs) afterwards. We'll do that. Sorry. For sure. For sure. But yeah, so, and then I started a business with my friends a couple years ago. Ended up really liking it. So I continue to run that business. My friends decided to go do something else. Um, And I've started another business. It's a concrete pumping business. Super manual labor. Super hard but I like it. So I'm just like, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I like it. So I have one daughter who's, uh, like nine and a half weeks, 10 weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, double digits. Yeah, that's right. She's, she's an old woman. (laughs) 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 And then, yeah, so I'm, I'm married and have a daughter. I love my wife and my daughter. They're both great. And yeah, so
0: that's, that's me.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Nice. All right. So I'm Ben Rasmussen. Uh, I'm also a senior at Brigham Young University with McKay. I'm majoring in psychology and I'm minoring in stats. So the goal with that is to go to grad school. I'm applying this year. I actually took the GRE today. Oh, so shoot. big milestone. Yeah, feeling a little brain dead still. 100%. Well, I pretty well. I you got 100%. I, <laughs> no, not even close. But I, I think I did well enough to uh, get me by. So, Dope, good so work. that's a good box to check off in the, the quest for grad school. Totally. So I love research. Uh, just like McKay does, I've been a research assistant on campus for various professors for a couple years now. Um, coming up on my second second anniversary, actually, when I first got into research. So, Dude, wow, very sweet, mm. very, very nerdy milestone. Well, what are you and uh, Becca gonna go do? <laughs> I was about to say you can take somebody out to dinner. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> nah, they're gonna
2: go read in their uh, apartment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. So my research experience has been broad. I've tried a lot of different things just because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And there were some things that were very interesting, but I kind of lost interest in them and some things that were very interesting, but not quite in my wheelhouse. I worked in the same neuroscience lab studying brain or studying drug addiction as McKay did, but uh, there was a lot of chemistry and neuroscience involved that I could not quite hack. So, Uh, I left that lab, but my other research experience includes an MRI study looking at traumatic brain injuries, so things like concussions. Um, Something that is going to be part of the focus of our episode today is sense-making processes. So when someone experiences a traumatic event, how do they recover from that? So there's a professor on campus named Dr. O'Grady who studies that, and so I'll be sharing a little bit of that research today as we talk about um, overcoming trauma and resilience and things like that. My current research interest and what I really have found my passion in is in relationships, sexuality, pornography, things like that. So I currently work. I've been here. I've been there for about a year now at the it was the Draper prison, but they just moved successfully to the Salt Lake prison. So now it is now the Salt Lake prison. Um, I work as an, as an intern there, and um, we actually just finished developing a new healthy sexuality course manual that we're trying to get published. So oh, that's, sick. that's that's my passion is spreading the word about healthy sexuality, healthy relationships, things like that.
1: Anti pornography, I assume. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's
0: a lot of research. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of research on pornography, like what's good about it, what's bad about it, because there's there is a lot of like it is the pornography is the end of the world um and so it's important to like understand what pornography actually does so that's something that we're we're actually yeah. working on yeah but i mean yeah i am anti-pornography to, to, <laughs> to, to state that clearly <laughs> yes <laughs> but good not to have I, I that yeah, clearly said there is said, yes. there is
2: research saying or arguing that pornography is good but that's whole nother yeah whole nother there, topic. there's a
0: lot of there's a lot of nuance to it. I'm definitely not a, a like a pornography doomsdayist because there is a lot of nuance to the pornography research, but yes, I am anti pornography
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good to know thank you, Ben good, very good. do you know um what they're gonna do this is completely off topic. I'm just interested. what are they gonna do with the? Draper Prison. Oh, yeah. So they're it's a new high school. <laughs> 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 I think they should
0: turn it into a big paintball arena, but they didn't <laughs> listen so to me. Cool. <laughs> no, I didn't tell anybody that. But uh, so they're going to knock most of it down and it's going to become this new fancy walking city, as Dang. they're calling it. So the idea is to have this really modern housing development but also have all the amenities you could need within walking distance huh. so it's supposed to be like an all-inclusive walking city
1: so like this own little yeah almost like a vineyard but more yeah, things exactly yeah <laughs> so they're
0: knocking most of it down they are keeping one building it's like the chapel that's a really historic building yeah. um lots of history behind it. it's really old cool building they're keeping oh, that but other than that they're knocking it all down yeah interesting
1: my uh my brother was in prison there, the paper <laughs> one, for like six years. Oh wow! Years. Um, so I was like, oh shame, they moved it. <laughs> the mems, the mems. <laughs> yeah, probably good yeah, mems to get rid of. But like, not, <laughs> not it was honestly kind of sad leaving it. Just walking out, like
0: wow. Like I that? never thought I would be sad like walking out of prison. I mean, obviously <laughs> I didn't like live there. I just worked there. But. Yeah,
1: that's like that uh, that's old. That's an old freaking building. And speaking of old yeah. buildings, so McKay and I went to a lot of school together. You went to Dixon, right? Of course, you dude. know Dixon's like Dixon. done for now. They're not. It's not middle school anymore. What is it? But well, they can't tear it down because it's technically a historical building. It's sweet because it's that old. It's so old. So I don't know what they're gonna do, museum or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna all take our kids there and be like, I went to middle school here, <laughs> kids. you so. so went to middle school in
1: a museum. Yeah, there was dinosaurs everywhere. I stuck
2: my gum under that desk.
1: (laughs) You know, I I don't know what they're going to do. That's cool. Nasty. Um, Okay, but sweet. Thank you guys for really good introductions. Um, Now you guys know everything about them, their lives, their personal... Did you guys share your social security on there?
0: Like Could you please? Yeah, let me, uh, I got my credit card right here. <laughs> my four digits off. here. I, th- <laughs> I did forget to mention I am married also. I've been married for almost two years. So, Good. celebrating the research anniversary and the wedding anniversary. Also. Dang, <laughs> and that's why they're reading together. Wow, <laughs> that's going to be beautiful. Yeah, so Becca and I have been married for about two years. She's sure also awesome. No kids, but Someday. we we love to spend time with. Allie McKay's daughter. Yes. <laughs> Marley's great. Marley loves
2: Wait, so Tall, Dark, Marley? and Handsome Men. Yeah, Marley. Dude,
1: that's like guaranteed my daughter's name is Marley, really? first daughter. Sweet.
2: Now, you I love that like, movie, Marley and Me, or what? Uh, or well, Bob Marley?
1: Mine, mine was Bob, well, technically it's because I am legend. His daughter's name's Marley. Oh, <laughs> nice. So, I am, yeah. Interesting. But because of Good Bob respect. Marley. So. I,
2: you know, we wanted to. It- Sing reggae, smoke weed. You know. I'm just kidding. Man. That's a lie. You know, all the, all the goods. Just kidding. We don't want you to do that, Marley, if you're ever listening.
1: <laughs> Ten years from now, she's like, yeah, what the heck is this? I need a puff. Anywho. Um, <laughs> okay, sweet. But uh, I I think Ben mentioned it a little bit. What they're going to be talking about today, it applies to – I mean, technically, it's resilience. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about resilience. Ben's going to be talking about sense-making. A little bit different, but very related to what you talk about on your podcast.
1: Yes, and so as you all know, as you should know, and if you don't know, you just don't listen. Or you're deaf, and I apologize, and we'll get a transcript for you. But... um. (laughs) As you know, we talk about things that, you know, we have people come on and discuss their life must go on moments where, you know, things kind of sucked and they were able to find a way to overcome it. And so Ben and McKay is a unique episode because they are going to be kind of talking about it from like the sense side of things or from a more, if I can say, a tangible side of things. Um, We're more like motivation, internal, like pump you up. But this side of things is cool because it kind of gives the science behind how that works and behind, you know, what is resiliency in like the medical world or in the (laughs) neurological world. I can't even speak speak (laughs) these words. (laughs) That's why, once again, we stay away from such things. (laughs) But um, they're giving a sense from, from that view, from that viewpoint, which is really, really cool. And it's something that we actually wanted to tap into. And so when McKay reached out, it was like, oh, dang the light bulbs flashing. And, and it was beautiful. And so we're actually just going to let McKay take away. I believe you'll start first, unless you guys didn't want it to do otherwise. Oh, no, yeah. But, I got it. And we are kind of just go from there and ask questions. And I'm, I'm pumped because I'm going to learn. And this it just feels good. Feels good. <laughs> yeah. On.
2: Yeah. I love this podcast because people's stories are super inspiring. Mm. Um, and so research pretty much that we're going to be talking about is is so, you know, it is kind of like taking all of the commonalities and those experiences that people have had and mm-hmm. then saying, okay, like, why did these people have this life must go on moment and how did it work? So it's kind of studying that moment. I mean... Obviously, the research isn't called life must go on. It's the, In this study, it's called it resilience. It should be. You should, you should pitch that for sure. Well, I think right. one
0: thing that's important too is whenever you're learning something and you're trying to improve, if you think about battle strategy, it's important to, one, get your troops ready to, for battle and also give them the weapons and armor they need to go into battle. So if you have a yeah. bunch of soldiers lined up but they don't have any swords, they're not going to be able to do much. Totally. you know. And so kind of in that in that same – with or using that same metaphor – with Life Must Go On, these people sharing these amazing experiences, that's definitely getting them ready for battle. And then when you kind of learn what the research is saying about how you can have that Life Must Go On moment, that's where you get that sword and that shield and you're ready to go into battle. So when you have your own moment where your back is against the wall and you think about all these other people who have gone through similar experiences that are Challenging you can have that motivation and the understanding that you can get through it Mm -hmm. And then taking these principles that we're gonna be talking about it gives you tangible Things that you can do to help overcome whatever is going on in your life. Yeah,
1: totally You guys are arming the people and I think that's really cool. I think overall with all the messages that we've ever shared that goes right along with it because everything that we do talk about, it is more focused on how to, well, I hope it's more focused on like helping people realize how to prepare for the one challenges come and not necessarily how to react once they're there. Mm-hmm. It's more like if I was prepared beforehand, I would know how to react once it came. And so yeah. I think it goes along, goes right along.
2: Totally, totally. And so there's a couple things in this study that I'm going to talk about that really give you I you know, they will give us ideas and we'll talk about them that will help you in those tough moments. So mm. this study is called Resilience in Children Exposed to Violence, a meta-analysis of protective factors across ecological contexts. How'd you like that? <laughs> I think we so, can move on. Rather professional. <laughs> put yeah. A golden sample on that. <laughs> yeah. So it was published in Clinical Child and Family Psychology Review Journal and the authors were Ewell, Houston and Gritch so this was published Gritch. in 2019 yeah GRYCH Gritch, Gritch. yeah wow, good didn't on see it. that one coming no, dude <laughs> so that's the paper uh, if you guys want to find it and check it out but so this study it's a meta analysis hmm. so a meta analysis is like a study of studies so this study took 118 studies total that studied violence and resilience
0: and children, which mm. by the way, 118 studies is very impressive.
1: But yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <It's> a, it <laughs> yeah, is a lot. It's a lot. It's a big meta-analysis. <laughs> exactly. More sources than I use in my English paper. <laughs> <laughs> a a little, probably a few more. <laughs> and they had over a hundred thousand
2: participants mm. combined in all. If you combine all of the participants of the study,
0: also very impressive.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that because sometimes it's like. 12, twelve. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like we had twelve <laughs> participants, so one hundred percent of people are losers. You know. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> totally. So it's very big. It's very large, which is a good thing in mm-hmm. studies. Um, and what these researchers wanted to do was see the effect, what effects school, family, peer, community, and individual differences had on children being resilient after being exposed to some sort of violence. Yeah. So this is just for violence. Um, so we need to take that into consideration as we talk about it, mm-hmm. but I think we can pull principles and apply it to not just violence, but maybe something hard in your life. That's like maybe emotional, yeah. you know, like a breakup or maybe something like anxiety or depression yeah. or anything like that. And so violence,
1: I'm sure it falls under like not only violence outside of the home, but like abuse yes things of that sort as well yeah
2: so they did three types of violence um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 really just like any abuse in the home seeing abuse uh, like parental abuse yeah. or seeing any like community violence so mm-hmm. like gunshots yeah I don't know, fights in you know gang fights stuff like that my neighborhood you know <laughs> yeah growing up in the hood the hood <laughs> of Provo. um anyways so that's what they that was the researchers goal so, when when we talk about individual factors, they're talking about things like positive self-perception, coping ability, cognitive ability, and emotional regulation. Those are the kind of the things that they're talking about. Family factors measure things like parental acceptance and family member support. Community factors are like a sense of security in their community and how trustworthy they perceive their neighbors being. Uh, school factors are like you know, how much support they have from school teachers and if they feel secure and safe at school. Peer factors are like how satisfied they are with relationships, levels of emotional support, Hmm. etc. So those are just examples of some of the things that they put in those five big groups. Hmm. So what they did was they took all of these studies – And then they divided all these groups up together, put a bunch of numbers in a computer, statistics, that's what Ben's doing. A lot of statistics, (laughs) hours, 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 statistics. And then, you know, chi-squared, multivariable, I don't know, Ben knows all the words. It makes
0: that noise too. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you type. Yeah, and then just
2: pops right out and we get get the results, okay? So it was all, it was mostly statistics is what they ran. So Mm -hmm. really confusing, hard to understand. We skipped that part. Mm. Um, But- Here are some of the conclusions. One was that the type of violence didn't matter. So, you know, if it was violence at home, violence away, it's like it wasn't significant on any of these things that they were measuring. It wasn't correlated. Yeah. So uh, they did find – so the most influential thing they seemed to find was uh, self-regulation. So self-regulation. And self-regulation is um, the ability to manage everything. What, what They described it as the ability to manage emotions, impulses, and behavior. So, f- at least for children, so this is for children, and maybe it can be applied to, to adults. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, that uh, emotional regulation, self-regulation, was the most important thing, or is the thing that was most correlated with high resilience, or mm-hmm. the ability to bounce back from seeing violence and not being not having it like overcome your life. Yeah.
1: How would you how would you specify self-regulation? So, I would say it's like similar to
2: emotion well, similar to emotional intelligence, but emotional regulation regulation to me is the ability to, you know, have you know, have this like emotion come in mm-hmm. and not necessarily having that emotion control what you do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So well,
1: kind of like recognizing the emotion and then
2: And then saying like, oh, I feel super anxious or super scared right now doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna do like run away. It just means like, hey, ooh, I'm feeling
1: this feeling. So it's almost like recognizing the situation.
2: Yeah, recognize I'm gonna process this emotion and I'm gonna act in a good way, mm. that's beneficial to me. What would you say, Ben?
0: Yeah, I was just going to say something similar. It's just this ability to experience an emotion and do what is appropriate in that moment with that emotion. So, if you are on the freeway and someone cuts you off and you get really angry, good emotion regu- emotional regulation is going to just accept that, to continue on with your through driving. Poor emotional regulation is going to speed up, flip the guy off or <laughs> woman off, road rage. cut them off, and then cause like a huge pile up. That's yeah. poor emotional regulation. So mm. it's just Acting in an appropriate way according – or using your – taking those emotions that you feel and doing with them what is appropriate in that moment. So physical
1: regulations, in essence, the same thing but more like your physical situation and then how are you going to act from there? Uh, I would say that, you know, your emotions affect
2: how you feel physically Mm -hmm. and can change – you know what you're experiencing in your body, um, and yes, it is like regulating your your physical body as well. Like saying, okay, like fear, we all know what fear feels like in our body, and yeah. that's like k- kind of a physical response. Yeah. Um, and e- emotional regulation involves like being able to not necessarily control that physical response, but being able to respond to it in an appropriate way. Yeah. Hm. So that was the number one thing which um, I was, like, semi-surprised by. I, I didn't necessarily think that being able to regulate your emotions would be the most important thing in bouncing back from a traumatic event, mm-hmm. at least in children. So that was interesting to think about for me. Is like, okay, do I self-regulate well? You know, when when my daughter is up at 3 a.m. two nights ago mm. <laughs> crying and – just not sleeping well like and I'm super grumpy about it I'm like oh I have to get up early today and it's just like <laughs> rawr, 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 you know what am I you know what am I doing to uh, regulate those emotions like those emotions of like frustration and uh, super tired and uh, I want to go to bed and mm-hmm. she's kind of annoying me and like getting kind of angry totally. you know what, what what am I doing to say okay I'm really not happy about this what am you know Uh, how can I calm down? How can I just solve the problem and move on? Hmm. So that's what I think about when I am reading this is that, okay, I have, how do I
1: emotionally regulate hard experiences? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And I guess a good way to like, look at it in the viewpoint of an adult, if I can try and correlate it Mm -hmm. is, I don't know. I think about like situations in my childhood We're like, you know, I'm not here to pity or anything, but (laughs) like a lot of situations in my childhood, there was a lot of, you know, abuse situations. And I, I, I don't know, as a child, you kind of, I don't, I relate to this in the sense of, I remember having like specific points in my life of seeing things like that and then asking myself those kinds of questions. And I think that the things that you learn when you're young, especially, I don't know how old the average age of these people were if they have that or if it was just, like, children any age. Mm-hmm. Um, but It was any age under 18. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So. so I feel like those are the things that you kind of carry with you into your adulthood. And so, like, you're saying, you know, now you got your daughter. She's up kind of ticking you off. And mm-hmm. how am I going to handle the situation? I'm going to acknowledge that there's an issue, but rather than reacting like, a child Mm. (laughs) or like, or like someone who's just a big weenie, I'm going (laughs) to handle my, handle my situation and my emotions and then act in an appropriate manner.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm. And, and I, I think that definitely applies to adults because, you know, some people lose, some adults lose, um, you know, their self-regulation, you know, and, and every circumstance is probably unique, Mm. you know, and not everyone's going to lose it all the time. But in those critical moments that you talk about, you know, those moments where they say, okay, life must go on. Those moments we, w- I, I would think your listeners and the people you've experienced probably have, they, they've they done very well in self regulation. Yeah.
1: Be you know, acknowledge their
2: situations and, and, and kind of respond appropriately. Totally. Totally. Which is really cool. So, you know, if you're listening, you're like, okay, when that moment comes, what do I need to do? I would say, you know, start practicing those small moments. Like mm. I, I was talking about mine's small. I mean, It's not super traumatic to have my baby wake me up. (laughs) But it's a small thing, and if I practice it now, if you
1: practice that every day, multiple times a day, then when that moment comes, you're going to be really good at it. Totally. I mean, right now, with what Ben said about the road rage, tying it in, like I'm getting ready to – (laughs) you're gonna you're getting ready to (laughs) self-regulate i'm like i need to get like a sticky note i used to have a sticky note in my car that said like be nice my friend my friend wrote it for me but (laughs) i'm gonna put that down i'm gonna write down regulate yourself so that way no cutting people off happens
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's important too to everyone's situation or there are specific kind of red flags or triggers or things that bring out negative emotions in people, and it's unique to each person. So Mm. some people struggle with road road rage. Some people could care less if they get cut off on the road. Some people have um, abuse in their past, and so there are certain things that are more triggering for them. So it's important to think about what negative emotions you are prone to experience, and then make a game plan for how you can manage those. So if you're an anxious person, and you tend to self-isolate when you're anxious and just curl up in a ball in your room and scroll through social media until 4 a.m., think about strategies that will benefit you and help you overcome that anxiety whether that's talking to somebody or going for a walk or whatever it is if it's anger have an anger management plan what are th- some things you can do every day to help manage your anger like exercising or meditating or just taking some quiet time and then what are some things you could do in the moment when someone cuts you off you know mm. taking deep breaths counting to 10 thinking of things that your senses are experiencing to just kind of help you calm down and help you regulate your emotions mm.
1: Mm.
2: totally so what they found next was that the next couple things that were most important in bouncing back and most significant in bouncing back from a traumatic event involving violence was uh, school support, community support, and peer support. And those are very general, right? It's kind of hard to uh, – I mean, it's just very general. It's just support from everyone around you, basically. Yeah uh specifically community factors that were significant were religious involvement and participation in extracurricular activities so that's interesting to note um but what i liked was that these people it was that you know all of these things definitely had to do with other people mm-hmm. it, you know it wasn't necessarily themselves that made the difference in whether or not they responded favorably to a traumatic event. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So your support system and that web of support is very important. And we all know this. Mm. We all, you know, we, we all kind of, you know, it's just like common knowledge kind of that it's like, Oh yeah, support system's important. But Mm. I mean, even when you research it, it's really important. It's especially important in your family
1: in your friends and in your community around you. Yeah. We're social beings. I think it's, Here's a little bit of my research. I think it's uh, like I'm pretty positive. Socrates, not entirely sure, but I think he says something along the lines of like a man alone is a man lost, something like that. And I think – I mean we're social humans. If I didn't have people, I would lose my mind. And in all the tough situations that like I've been in, I'm sure that you guys have been in, if you're by yourself, like talk about shooting yourself in the foot, like that sucks. And so being able to have social – I don't know, being around people that are supportive – It just kind of, like you're saying, it's common sense almost, but at the same time, it's not necessarily.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a hard choice to make in the moment too. I don't know. When you're feeling really depressed or anxious, sometimes going and seeing the people that you care about most isn't necessarily what you want to do in that moment, but it might be the best thing for you for sure because we are social beings and just having a a solid support system is extremely important in any sort of negative emotion you're experiencing. Hmm. Totally. It, this,
2: you know, their conclusions reminded me of actually a, a quote I saw, in, the Nairobi airport. So Nairobi, <laughs> Kenya. I flew there once, and honestly, one of the quotes on the wall really got me. Like they they had all <laughs> these really funny, weird things. They would just translate stuff from Swahili into English. Yeah. They would, It was it was cool to. I was just reading the walls because they would you know kind of teach you a little bit of Swahili on the way out. Mm. And one of them was an African proverb and I've remembered it because I thought it was really cool. It says, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And that had an impact on me. And I think that applies here because, you know, family support is important. School, you know, School support is important. Community support is important in bouncing back from hard events. Totally. And I'm sure you've noticed on your podcast, the people you've talked to have talked about, hey, this person was influential in me yeah. overcoming this. I'm yeah. sure it's probably common in every single one. Every time, yeah. Yeah, they, they, I'm sure they talk about people like that. And so for me, what I think about is, okay, how is my social support? This. This helped me pause and analyze my own web of family friends and community Mm. and i thought about okay if something bad happened to me who who would i go to yeah you know who can i go to ben (laughs)
1: <laughs> go to bed. Always. <laughs> Got you. Even me, Ben. No. I'm showing up, knocking to- on the door.
2: Totally, totally. Maybe Monson. And, uh, but anyway, so, you know, I think about my wife. And it's like, yeah, if I was going through something hard, I could definitely go to my wife. Yeah. And if it was something, like, super hard and it was I, I went to my wife and, you know, I need more, then I think about, okay, what friends do I have that I can talk to? Or, hmm. or what family members can I go to? And I think about, okay, what neighbors can I go to? What, who, you know, in my religious involvement, like what people at the church that I go to, can I talk to about this mm. and, and understand from? And so it helped me pause and analyze, okay, realistically, like, you know, if if my mom died, yeah, who would I go to? How would I find resilience from other people? How would I, you know, be resilient in this tough situation, in this life must go on situation? What would I do? Totally. And so those are the things that I pause to think about. And so I think a great thing for the people listening today to do would would be that, would be identify those people and continue to foster that relationship because mm-hmm. every relationship is going to take some work. And, and not necessarily work, but it's going to take, you know, you're going to have to plan. You're going to have to do stuff with that person. and But, but make sure to protect those relationships
1: that are mm-hmm. important to you. Yeah, because they can – Relationships can become very dynamic, like I assume like once you got married, you realize that like okay, you can't hang out with other people that you used to just always hang out with, but it yeah. doesn't mean they have to like leave your life completely. it's exactly. just a different it's just it's a different just aspect. Change. yeah, but you need to protect it in the way that works with your life, totally, You're like okay, I have a wife, but I also have these good friends I have to make sure I have' a healthy balance, definitely mostly swayed towards the wife, <laughs> mm-hmm. but healthy balance where yeah. you still gotta have friends and totally sociality totally
2: they also found that uh, uh for children an important relationship was their their parents hmm. and uh you know how you, like loving and supportive they were of their child yeah and and so you know as adults i'm assuming most of your listeners are adults or close to that age mm-hmm. you know you can't necessarily be around your parents all the time cuz you're going to be gone you're going to be elsewhere you're going to be you know with your family you're going to be off working, you're gonna be in different places, and so being around your parents is not always, you know, you're not always able to do that. But what I thought would be helpful for your listeners would be like, hey, what what type of do you have a role model? Like who mm-hmm. is your go to role model? And if you're in a new place, like who can you find? You know, if you're at a job, okay, who's your role model in that company that you work in? Yeah. Or if you're going to grad school, you know, is your advisor your role model, or is it someone else? Or, you know, that's what, you know, I thought would be helpful is like instead of talking about like your parental relationships, because they may or may not be there, especially if your parents are not good to you, Yeah, then you might not even want them to be around. Mm-hmm. But identifying role models that are people that you can look up to and seek advice from that will help you in these.
1: Uh, yeah, like parental figure Tough situations.
2: Yeah. Someone like a parent, not necessarily a parent. Yeah.
1: And I think even if I want to take it like half a step farther is one thing that I do is if I ever like, it's part of it's just my pride inside of me and I just like want to prove to the world that I can do anything. (laughs) But like if something went went really wrong with me, for example, like if I had a really terrible parental situation, then my goal in life would be to become the parent opposite of what I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, I mean, for people, if you don't want kids necessarily, but like, I don't know, in your life, prep yourself to be that parent and be the person, you know, once you've learned from other people around you and other peers, like you're saying, then prep yourself to be that parent who's going to be helpful in the future. And that kind of, I don't know, ties in with it. And for me, it's like, I'm prepping to eventually have children. And when I do have children, it's I'm going to be the parent that I wanted to my parents to be type deal. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah,
2: totally. That's a sweet, that's a sweet way to look at it. And so those are the things that I wanted to highlight from this study that uh you know uh, about resilience. And so um I'm excited to hear what Ben has to say about sense making because that has a lot to do. It's like to me sense making's kind of a step in resilience. Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, it's it's resilience is this big broad topic and yeah. sense making is one column
0: that can really help you to become resilient. Totally. Yeah. So, like McKay was mentioning, sense making is this one lane towards resilience. And so, what we mean by sense making is when something traumatic or unexpected happens in your life and you kind of lose that sense of security, how do you deal with that? And how do you change and become adapted to this? How do you adapt to this? And also, How do you change your surroundings to become adapted to this new situation? So there's a lot of research that has gone into this, um, this area of studying sense-making. And so I chose to talk about the kind of flagship paper that everyone looks to when they're talking about sense-making. So any paper you read on sense-making is going to reference this. And we did a lot of work with this in the lab that I worked on. We were working on a meta-analysis as well with a bunch of these different papers Talking about sense making, so this is called the collapse of sense making in organizations, the Mangulch disaster. This is by Weick, published in 1993 in Administrative Science Quarterly. So the paper tells a very interesting story that happened back in the 1940s. So on August 4th, 1949, a lightning storm caused a small fire in Mangulch, Montana. So this was in a national forest or a national park. Um, lots of trees, lots of brush, and the next day, high temperatures caused the fire to grow and become out of control. So what started as just a small brush fire became something a little bit bigger that they needed to deal with. And so firefighters from nearby stations were dispatched to fight the fire there. There was 16 of them originally, but it dwindled down to, I believe, 14 that were fighting this fire. And they started setting up their camp and getting ready to fight this fire. They got there and in that at that evening, they were eating some food, and they were across this gulch from where the fire was. So there was this big gap between them and the fire, and so they felt safe there. But things started to heat up, wind started to blow, and later that evening after they had their dinner, um, they went and looked closer, because they were they weren't right on the edge of this gulch. They were a little bit further back, and so they walked up just to check on the conditions of the fire, and they found that the fire had jumped over this gulch and was coming right at them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Run. Yeah. So a little bit of a scary situation. <laughs> really? Yeah. Run. So the leader, his name was Dodge,
2: quickly Wow, did he t- did he dodge? He, he, he just ran. Yeah, no. he kind of <laughs> dodged. He ran. Tried he ran. to dodge. So he his
0: name was Dodge. He quickly yelled for them to start running. They started running and they started going up this hill. And on this hill that they were running on, there was two and a half feet tall grass. Hmm. And so they were running much slower than the fire so the fire was coming at them pretty fast and so they had to adapt and what happened was the leader dodge told Mm -hmm. everyone to drop their tools and he quickly lit a fire in this grass and it quickly spread and burned a bunch of this grass but it burned a big circle for them where there was no flammable materials because the the fire that he just said burned them all so he burned yeah so he burned uh, burned the circle and so he says drop your tools and everyone lay down in this little patch that i just burned." But no one listened to him, and they continued to run away. So Dodge was the only one to lay down in this burnt grass, and he was the only one to survive. What? So the other 13 firefighters who were with him died. Either they were consumed by the fire then, or they sustained... Intense burns that were not sustainable and they died in the hospital later. But all of these firefighters died except Dodge. Oh my
1: god. Dude, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a fire. fire. (laughs) Jeez, (laughs) man. So in the end,
0: yeah, in the end, it took four hundred and fifty people to get this fire under control. So what started as a really small fire quickly got out of control, killed thirteen firefighters, and ended up taking four hundred and fifty people to put out. Dang. Yeah. So this is a obviously a very crazy story about a situation where people had to adapt and where some most of these people were not obviously able to adapt to their situations so they take this story and they've used it and other stories and other traumas and other they call them cosmology episodes basically it's when something happens that triggers a change that triggers that that life must go on moment. Mm. And so for them, obviously, so basically what I want to do with this is I kind of want to just go through this model and put it in the context of this story that they're talking about. And we can also talk about some other, other stories. We can talk about McKay's research and how it applies to this model as well. So... The first part of it is that cosmology or that episode. So in this, obviously, it's that fire. The, the fire jumps over the, the gulch and all of a sudden you're not dealing with the fire you thought you were dealing with anymore. It's much bigger than you expected, and you are obviously not able to control it. So it's this, it's this all of a sudden it's kind of this like goosebumps moment, this gut drop moment of like, oh no, this is not what I signed up for. Mm. And so next that causes you to lose your sense so it's the sense losing stage of the sense making process so this is when you notice that things are out of control you perform a brutal audit of your situation and you accept the reality that you accept the reality that you are not in control anymore so in this fire you see it coming towards you and you say i can't fight this thing i don't know what i'm going to do and you kind of check your surroundings and you say things are not looking good for me uh, the only other place for me to go is up this hill with this really long grass that i'm not sure i can run up mm. so Performing that brutal audit is an important part of this, because, for example, in an organization, that um, there a, lo- a lot of research looks into this organization. This paper actually was looking at more the organizational side of the sense-making model. But if uh, an organization has a problem, or if a community has a problem, they're not willing to recognize that that problem is there. That fire is just going to c- keep consuming the the brush, and no one's going to do anything about it. it makes mm. sense. Yeah, so you have to recognize that there is a problem and accept that you're not in control of your reality anymore. Next stage is improvising. So this is when you identify potential escape paths. So you look up the hill, you see, okay, I can run up the hill um this is where dodge improvised and he said okay i'm not i'm no longer a firefighter this fire is going to win if i try and fight it so i need to do something else and that's where he Mm. as a firefighter did the opposite of what he's trained to do you know and they're, they're trained to dig holes make fires move around use water and put them out dump things on fires so that they put they they put fires out they don't start them so for dodge to do that was him losing his sense of self." and being able to improvise and say, okay, what? how can I adapt? So you identify the potential escape paths, you reconstruct the image of yourself within a society or a unit, and you reimagine team operations. So if you're in the context of an organization or a team, you think, okay, what we are doing is no longer working. What can we do to change? Or I don't feel the same in this group of people, in this situation, how can I change to adapt to my new situation? Hmm. And both of those
1: so far, Go right along with what McKay said as well. Uh I think the first part, second part too.
0: Yeah. So kind of um, a story that reminds me of, or McKay's research reminds me of a story that um, Dr. O'Grady, this professor that studies this, told all the research assistants at a lab meeting one time, there was this grandmother in Haiti who um, Dr. O'Grady knew personally and talked to. And I, I'm fuzzy on all the details, but I have enough of them to be able to tell the story. Somehow she lost her family. I'm not sure if it was in an earthquake or some other disaster, but her all of her kids and grandkids died. Mm. And so she was working with this woman at some sort of Red Cross camp or something like that where she was just kind of in shock and didn't know how to move on and so you can imagine that this woman has this sense of I'm a mother I'm a grandmother I devote most of my time to helping my kids helping my grandkids a lot of the things I do are for my kids and my grandkids now they are no more so who am I now and so she had to kind of reinvent herself And so her way of improvising was to find others that she could kind of parent and grandparent. So there were lots of other kids and lots of other adults at that camp that had also lost loved ones and they needed someone to help care for them. So she actually was able to totally rebound. And obviously, you're never going to fully heal from losing your entire family like that. But she was able to kind of rewrite her narrative of who she is and she, instead of being a grandmother to her, her biological children and grandchildren, she became a grandmother to everyone in the community. Mm. So that is, that is one way that you can improvise. It's reimagining yourself, reimagining where you fit in the unit, reimagining how your team is operating. And then that brings us to this sense remaking part, which is cautiously constructing a way out of the episode and regaining a sense of security. So for Dodge, that was him hunkering down in this circle and while the fire burned around him and then eventually the fire burns everything and he's able to just kind of stand up and say, OK, I, I, I imagine he had some some burns and some issues to attend to, but he ended up being OK. And so he was able to reinvent himself and kind of make that sense, um, re- remake that sense that he had lost. And same thing with that grandmother in Haiti. She was able to remake who she was and adapt and become a grandmother to everyone around her instead of just the grandmother of her grandchildren. And then lastly, this is where it gets transgenerational. Like uh, Monson was talking about, if you don't have that, for example, if you don't have those parents that you always wish you had, if you grew up in a rougher home, you kind of want to pass on something better to your kids. And that's the last part is this transgenerational narrative. So you pass on this new sense of self to future generations. So you go through something, you have that life must go on moment, and you're better because of it, and so you're able to pass that on to future generations. Sadly, this isn't always the case. Um, We did an episode on uh, epigenetics, and we talked about a, a... famine in Ukraine in the 1930s that has impacted the entire country. And so that is their transgenerational narrative. They had hard times with food. And so today, even though food is plentiful in Ukraine, that people still have food hoarding habits characteristic of someone who is going through a famine. That's their transgenerational narrative. But when we remake that sense of who we are, we can pass that narrative on to our future children, those around us. We can share our stories, things like that. So that's kind of the sense-making model. And so you can apply that to your own situation. You can think of, you know, COVID was one thing for all of us. Mm. Luckily, I mean, who knows when we're on the up, when we're on the down. It's it's changing every day. (laughs) But... um, when COVID hit for all of us, there was a sense of sense losing, you know, classes was canceled. People lost their jobs. People had trips canceled. People all of a sudden couldn't see their loved ones, things like that. And we had to improvise and we had to remake that sense. Mm -hmm. We had to wear masks, all these things. And you just kind of had to, you had to adapt. And so um, that's one thing that is extremely important in building this resiliency is being able to look at your situation and adapt and remake this idea of who you are and how you see yourself in the
1: context of society. Which to me is dope. Um, <laughs> I can't even think of a better word for it other than <laughs> dope. Um, I, I like, there's something about, I always refer to my life as like a superhero movie. And I just think about how lame it would be if I went through some challenges and just was the lamest superhero and didn't do anything about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'd just be. If people were watching my life's movie, how boring would that be? If I just, you know, I was like, ah, well, whatever. It's over. You know. (laughs) I lose. (laughs) I lose. (laughs) Sorry, but you know, thinking of these situations, the dodges and the lady from Haiti, um, the people that I've interviewed, and 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 probably our own lives. It's cool to be able to see people take. These principles that you're sharing, where they're able to recognize the situation, adapt to the situation, because if you don't adapt, I mean, you're just, what's the whole insanity thing? Doing the same thing over and over again? Uh-huh, you're yeah. just insane. And yeah, so exactly. If you don't adapt, if you don't change, nothing else is going to come from it. And so I think applying both of what McKay was saying and what you're saying, I think they both just tie in perfectly together of somebody who is in a tough situation. They recognize how they're feeling, they change, they adapt. And then they're able to see or, or, or become or become the outcome or change the outcome. Thank you. My brain doesn't work sometimes. Yeah, and,
0: and they're better for it as well. Yes.
1: And I think I, you mentioned like there's some several people where – I forget what you said it was called. But where after they've had like their life must go on moment, then they're able to like or willing, wanting to pass it on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. I Not necessarily like a specific research, but everything that I've read about – I love self-help books. And so Mm -hmm. I read a lot of self-help books. Every self-help book, I'm pretty positive that the common denominator of all of those is somebody who has experienced A, B, or C, and then they want to pass that on forward. It's almost like a natural reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, One book I've shouted out before, and I'll shout it out again. My friend Brigham listens to every episode. Good man. Love you, Brigham. Um, But I read this book called The Second Mountain, and his whole thing is like on the first mountain of life... It is pretty much us doing the things that we're supposed to do. We're just living our normal lives and being the normal people that we've been called. We were the Dodges who Mm are eating while the fire is on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And then once you recognize, oh, crap, the fire is a lot bigger than I thought, that's when you journey onto the second mountain and you live a more fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. And so the author, he portrays this message of the second mountain is people who have recognized these situations, and now they've moved on to a life that is devoted to helping others overcome their challenges and, and living your life more purposefully. And I think that recognizing the golden nuggets that you guys are teaching right now, those golden nuggets are people's transition from the first mountain to the second mountain of life. And I think that everybody can apply and everybody can use that because everybody goes through challenges and everybody faces hard and crappy situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally.
2: I think, it, that reminds me of a, of a quote. I don't know who said it. Don't know anything about it. But <laughs> they said, yeah. I wouldn't give a fig. It's probably an old quote because who knows what figs yeah, are figs. anymore. <laughs> fig Newtons. I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity. As if complexity is a little bit further from you. Hmm. So I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity. But I would give my life for simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm. super deep it took me a long time to figure out it was beautiful, it was beautiful. I know keep thinking about it guys <laughs> but to me it's like complexity is kind of like this experience that changes your that like remakes your life that mm. changes the way you view the world that is hard Maybe like a life must go on moment mm. and life is simple before that and then you go through that and all of a sudden life is complex and hard but then as you come out the other end and if you are, you know, if you do the things that help you be resilient, that help you make sense, then you come out the other end, and you realize those simple things in life are still simple, mm. but you just understand the other, the complex side of life as well. Yeah. And that simplicity becomes much more valuable. Mm. Mm. Um Yeah. It, I mean, <clears throat> like when I was listening to Ben, that's sweet. I had never heard about the sense making model. And, it totally reminds me of I when, like for me, a life must go on moment was in 2017, May 23rd. I was I, so I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I was in Taiwan, and uh, I got a call from home that my older brother just died by suicide, hmm. and it was tough. It was one of those moments where I was like, it was when you know what was the second one like since losing lost my sense lost mm. <laughs> in that moment i remember just uh because i was a lo- i was skyping my family obviously is back when you used skype mm. and um they told me and i i remember i just walked away from the computer and i just like knelt down and i was just kept repeating what like i was just like what and then I will just, because my older brother's name's Zach. And I was just like, Zach, what? Hmm. And I just couldn't, like, sense was gone, you know. It was just completely gone. And, uh, but I, my experience was that the things that we just told you about, my my support from my family, my support from, you know, the people around me, the other missionaries mm. were a good support. My mission president, he was a good role model and father like father figure to me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that that you know, kind of the cognitive side that you talked about, Ben, that was also very present. Whereas like, okay, I've I've lost my sense of self. You know, it took a while. It takes a long time. <laughs> a while. I'm still working through it, you know. Mm. And it's been what years it twenty twenty two? It's been five, five and a, yeah. five and a half years, you know, a little bit more than five years, and I'm still working through it. I'm not saying it's over. I'm just saying I'm still working through it. But like those stages that I definitely recognize, those kind of stages that I went through, where it's like, okay, what is going on? How am I going to figure this out? You, you know, um, and I, I also, you know, I also obviously am religious because I served a mission, and I do think that you know in this study that i talked about religious involvement was helpful and i believe that you know for me jesus christ definitely helped me that's totally. a part of my belief totally. and he helped me while i was serving but i had that moment and i know that these things that we talked about definitely helped me mm-hmm. and as i you know improvise so you know yeah. improvise kind of sounds a bit more like you know, stand-up comedy. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. But, like, it, it, the, in the way that we're talking about it here is is just, like, thinking of new ways to, you know, overcome challenges is kind of mm-hmm. what this yeah. sense-making model new makes it cope. seem. Yeah, and as I did that, it was, like, I got so much help from I feel like God, mm-hmm. from my family, from my peers, and from, like, the community that I was in. Hmm. And so that was um a moment for me where and I have tons of experiences where it's just like, yeah, I got help from so many people that I could tell you all about. Yeah. Um but I just know that like the things that we talked about definitely are helpful in that sense, you know, in, in that life must go on moment that's hard. When the fire is coming after you, because it came after me in in that one experience, and those are the things that helped me. And that's okay. why we wanted to share. I mean, that's this is kind of my Passing it on to generations is saying, like, the things that we're talking about
1: really help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These are things that once that situation came, you're glad you had people in place. And you're glad that you did have at least a support system, you know? Obviously... You know, I, I don't like to live my life, and I hope you guys don't like to live your life expecting hardships because you're going to be stressed out a lot of the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, they're unexpected, and they come up out of nowhere. And so beforehand, if you have these support systems, if you have people in place that are going to help you when life hits hard and when the fire is coming, you know, when you get that phone call, when you have people already in your life prior to that – it's just so much more of a weight that is taken off of you in the situation. And I think one of the I, I have been lucky and and blessed and um, privileged with just the ability to be very positive in, in in any circumstance. And you know, I don't know every detail about McKay, but I think that for the most part he has very similar circum like very similar attributes. Um, I've known McKay for a long time now, and he's always been positive and a good human being. And I just think about people who go through situations similar and even worse in certain cases that don't have, you know, that positivity and that don't have good support systems. And I just think, like, there is so much more that you could do with yourselves if you had people in place, if you had these coping mechanisms in place, if you had these tools in place for when that, you know, tough times come. And, uh, you know, it's like my life's journey and obviously, you know, like just you guys as well. It's trying to show people in the world that there are things that can help you and there are things that can benefit you. We are lucky and and benefits of a positive spirit and and, and decent environments. Um, And I think that there's so many people in the world who just struggle without that, that it's like my life's mission to share with them, hey, there's other people out there like you. We're gonna find a way to help you. We're gonna find a way to get you a support system. Let's make it happen. That kind of thing. Totally. Hmm. Thanks for saying that, by the way, Okay, yeah. That's deep.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, these things that we're talking about are really great, and we can't, you know, really help you in one podcast episode for mm-hmm. whoever's listening. It's like you know this, however long it's going to be. <laughs> these this forty five minutes is not going to. It 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 can help you. And it can be like the catalyst to change, but it won't necessarily make you. So I think that, you know, a good place to go. Ben is a huge fan of this, was telling me right before we started this episode, like, it should be required that everyone should go to individual and family therapy.
0: What do you, you know, Ben? What's your soapbox? Hop on the box. Yeah. (laughs) There's just, there, we know so much about how to learn the skills that humans need to not only survive, but thrive emotionally, mentally physically. And so going to a therapist, even if you aren't experiencing something that is traumatic or extremely difficult in your life, just going to therapy with yourself and also with your family can help you learn skills that will prepare you for these difficult times. And also it when you go through something really difficult like this, these people, these therapists are trained professionals that know how to help people work through these tough times these tough events and can give you the skills to help you do that for yourself and then of course if you're the only one that learns that you don't live in an isolated world and so it's important to also go with your family i think i I think it should be required for everyone everyone individually and their family to go learn these skills because they are so important and can Help your life so much.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, therapy is a great place to go to learn about sense-making because those people are trained to teach other people how to uh, manage your thoughts, Mm. especially in stressful times. And especially, you know, every therapist has their own kind of special special. Yeah, we'll put, put an
0: asterisk on this as well if you uh don't like your first therapist don't give up try a different therapist because just like you're not going to be friends with everyone not every therapist is going to be able to establish a really good therapeutic relationship with you mm. so just as just like you're not going to be friends with everyone you come across make sure you find a therapist that is a good fit for you and if your first therapist isn't a good fit that's not to say that all therapists are bad fits but you just need to keep looking
2: totally Yeah. And so definitely therapy is a great place to learn these things for me, you know, for me, when my brother died by suicide, I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, I had a good support system Hmm. in place, partly due to the organization of the church, partly due to the fact that I, you know, relationships are important to me. And so I tried to maintain good relationships with lots of people. And so that support system there, you know, for peers and for my family was, was there and they supported me and, and that helped me through that situation and our family helped each other through that situation. Um, and so, you know, the same thing is like, I would take a pause, look at your life. Okay. Where's my support system and how can I, you know, make it better? I don't know. Not that it's not enough, but just saying is yeah. Like, what can I do more for my friends? What can I do more for my family? What you know? How can I build that? You know, structure so it's safe and sound. And when things shake,
1: it's like it'll still be good. Yeah. A therapist that I know and watch on YouTube is uh, Jordan Peterson. (laughs) He's good. That's kind of his main thing overall is taking the moments in the day, pausing, and really taking a study of yourself internally. And just saying, like, where do I need to improve? And whether it's in these relationships. And so, like, a challenge for everybody listening. you Take the moment, you know, this week or every single day to pause and just be like, okay, what are the relationships that I have? Where can I do better at strengthening those relationships? um, Or putting myself in a better relationship? And I think once you kind of internalize it, which is really the first step of both of you guys' studies, um, once you're able to internalize where you're at, then you're able to have that sense making where you're able to say, okay, I'm going to reach out to this person or I'm going to be closer with these people or so on and so forth. Because life comes and it comes hard. And so when when you're, when you're ready or when, when life's ready to hit you, you just, you need to be ready to hit back. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Yeah. Totally. Well, boys, I think that is our time. And I think that was really good. I appreciate both of you coming on and sharing your messages with us sharing a little bit of personal touch and and all the research you guys did thanks for going through all of that you see i struggle with that thing so this is healthy <laughs> this is a healthy relationship this is a good relationship, relationship. Is <laughs> <laughs> that's right <where> <laughs> totally and so everybody give their give their podcast a listen once again it's noggin the simple psychology podcast um you can find that on all platforms i assume better be yes sir yeah, wherever you get your podcast wherever you get it um for the most part Apple and Spotify. Everybody else, <laughs> thanks for the few listens on like Amazon and Google. And Google, yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah, a few stitchers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, thanks guys. Good work. <laughs> but um not for real. Thank you guys so much. And uh that's where we'll close. So woo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>